0: time historically you've seen revival there's certainly this unique awakening within the church but it doesn't stay in the church. I think oftentimes the way that revival spreads is it finds the delivery system of the culture and it moves through the delivery system of the culture. So I think about, man, what are the prevailing things in our culture that have people's hearts, attentions, and how does the message of Jesus invade, supersede, and use those as the delivery system? So to me, revival is not just, okay, there's this moment of awakening in the church, but it pervades the delivery systems of the culture.
1: Well, that voice you are hearing is Mike Johnny, who is the senior pastor at Kings Harbor Church in Torrance. I loved this conversation. In fact, I keep a little bit in the beginning where I normally cut because I really wanted you to hear Mike talk shop and basically talk about his philosophy of ministry at Kings Harbor. I think it's really fascinating. I think he's a great pastor. He thinks so deeply and spiritually about so many incredible things, like his call to his people and his call to bring the message of the gospel to the South Bay. I really like this conversation, and I. I think you will too. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week and every single week after that. I'm really happy to be sitting here at Kings Harbor Church. I am in what I can only describe as a studio. Do you guys film a lot in here?
0: We just did this a couple of months ago. So this will be the place where we do a lot of filming, nice. a lot of podcast audio, that type of stuff.
1: What kind of stuff would you think you're going to be filming in here?
0: So we will do both audio and video podcast. Cool. And then a lot of like stand-up announcements, that type of deal, storytelling type nice. medium. So that'll be fun.
1: I have people been like clamoring for something like this? Like they want more?
0: I think if we're going to be an effective modern church, church we've got to be able to be more than sunday we've got to be able to add value more than sunday and so this maybe something that people are clamoring for that they don't know they're clamoring for.
1: I completely agree. And I, I think that you're thinking about this so well of saying, how can we adapt to what our people are already needing? I think people would say that's seeker sensitive. They you know just preach the Bible, but there's something so valuable about somebody walking in on a Sunday and saying, oh, this church sees me every day of the week. Right. And I love that.
0: Right. And the challenge of Sunday is, you know, regardless of what you're preaching, it's not necessarily directly applicable to what people are feeling. So, like, if a parent walks in and needs parenting advice and I'm talking through judgment, um, I mean, they might feel like the Lord does in that context with their kids, but it's not directly applicable. So how do we directly answer those questions if Sunday can't do it?
1: Yeah. And that was the whole impetus behind the podcast of there are, for the coastline sake, like there are things that don't fit on a Sunday that we think are super valuable that we want to have in part of your life. And also like, it just builds really fun culture for people. Like we get to know you, we get to hear everything, but this is not about getting to know me. This is about getting to know you. I am here with. I'm sitting here with pastor Mike. I mean, you know, this is a big deal for me. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to be here with you. I would love to hear a little bit about you. 40,000 foot bio. Who are you? Where are you from? And I'm very interested because you are a transplant to the South Bay. You did not grow up here. So who are you? Where are you from? And then how did God lead you here to the South Bay to Kings Harbor?
0: Sure. My name is Mike. My last name is Johnny. And when you see that it's spelled D S A N E, which is a little confusing. My family's from Ghana, West Africa. So I was born here in the States, but mom, dad, oldest sister we're all born there. Middle sister born in Massachusetts and then I was born in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, Grew up in Oklahoma, grew up in the church. I can remember around seven or eight coming to faith, had a season of rebellion in middle school, but for the most part, followed the Lord. And then in college, I was at the University of Oklahoma and I thought I was going to be a sports agent. And so I was going to get my marketing degree and then go to law school. And in the middle of my junior year, the Lord just made it really clear, hey, I'm calling you to, to ministry. To which I was like, I don't know how to do that. But I just trusted him in that. Graduated, started working at the church that I grew up at. Um, and the Lord's been faithful to lead me one step to another. We're, moved to Dallas, got married while I was in Dallas, was there for about 10 years and had a desire to plant a church. So got on staff with the Village Church in Dallas. Some people may know that, others don't, but one of the things that's a core value for them is planting churches. And so as I was there, there's a man who, also wanted to plant a church who was from Torrance. And so I wanted to plant in San Diego, but I'd rather have a teammate than have a location. I'm like, I don't care. It's California. So it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and so he was like, we should plant in Torrance. And he actually grew up at Kings Harbor. His mom actually was on staff at Kings Harbor at the time. And then that's when Kings Harbor started going through their leadership transitions. Uh, we, we'll probably talk about that more later, but then the position came open for lead pastor here. And I just had to make a decision at this point. It's not what I thought I was going to do. Do I just stay in Dallas and, and continue to grow or do I pursue? pursue this, chose to pursue it. And the, the Lord landed us here.
1: I want to ask about your time in Dallas versus your time in Torrance. What do you feel like you learned in Dallas that's been uniquely helpful to help you minister here in Torrance?
0: I think particularly my time at the village, I wasn't an elder, but I got to be in those rooms. And so like the the value of shepherding and like how your theology informs your practice mm-hmm. was really, really important. I think honestly, I lived in Oklahoma until I was 25 and then lived in Dallas until I was 32 or something like that. I think that's where I grew up the most and, and became an adult. And so then even having some separation from family and then even just living in a large metroplex and having that context for people density and traffic and all that stuff. Like I think if I'd come from Oklahoma straight to the, the LA basin, I would have been like, what? I and so I think all of that was just really uh, some practical benefit as well as spiritual and, and, and emotional benefit.
1: If you could sum up your time at the Village Church, what would you Say, is like the biggest God lesson that you learned?
0: Uh, humble leaders willing to admit mistakes and ask for grace and then also offer the very same grace.
1: That is a really well put phrase. And I think that is so. Important when you think about the story of Kings Harbor and you said leadership transition, I think that a lot of people know the story and we don't need to rehash all of the details here, but the need for a leader to come in and be humble and to be vulnerable, was that intimidating for you coming into a church that needed something like that? Did you sense that that was something that you could do or were you like, all right, here we go, I'm gonna be stretched now?
0: I don't think I knew. I think I thought maybe the church was farther along than what it was when I got here. And that's that's to nobody's fault. I just of think course. I do the right questions to ask. And so I think it was one of those things that I'm grateful that the Lord put it in me from the context of being at the village and watching some hard things. And so then when I got squeezed and it was, it needed to come out of me, it was there. I think I probably, I don't know. I hope I wouldn't have ran from it if I had known, but I might have. So yeah.
1: and that's the story, right? Like yeah. if I knew what I was getting into, especially in church planting, I'm sure as you were getting ready to do that, you saw like the statistics and how hard it is. And oh, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe right. I want to do something nice and easy, just right. be Jerry Maguire here in Oklahoma and not <laughs> that's right. Not or I guess in Texas, since coming to Kings Harbor, have you felt like God has been faithful in giving you an easy ramp in? you've been here for a while and it's not like you just came here yesterday.
0: Sure. You know, a lot of people, when they move to Southern California, feel like it's hard to break in. I felt like we have the unique grace of, because of the situation, we had a church full of people who were like, we are looking for a leader. We're excited that you're here. We want to know your family. So I would say relationally, it was not difficult. I, I think people were very welcoming and very eager, which is maybe different than what other people experienced.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think that's great. And I also think it speaks to God's faithfulness in saying the church is important, right? And this whole series is about how important the church is for the communal repentance and the communal looking at our sins and looking at our, our the place we live in and saying, how can we as a community change and what can we do for our community to help them change? But before we jump yeah. into that, I want to ask, we've mentioned Kings Harbor a lot. What are you excited about in your church right now? What are you seeing yeah. God do and what are you just. Cannot wait to talk about
0: start of this year, start of 2023. Yes, uh, we rebranded. Don't hear that as a lot of time when people rebrand, it's like, okay, here's a scandal. Let's change <laughs> your name and our logo. Baby, people, won't notice. this wasn't a PR <laughs> stunt. Yeah, wasn't, it wasn't that. It was the Lord is turning us into a new place and a new people. How do we visually and even in our language represent that? So excited about that because it's you know, if nothing else, you get new stuff, new new, new, new stuff pictures. We love it. And so, but now the fun of living that out. And learning day to day what that means for myself and for the people I have the privilege of getting to lead. That's fun. And that's leading us into over the coming year, we're gonna to begin to do some things financially in terms of supporting the vision, like a capital campaign, some of that stuff. So I'm like, nice. man, I'm stoked about
1: all that. I'm stoked about all that. Yeah, we'll be praying for you guys, supporting you guys over on our end. What's the new tagline? What's the new branding?
0: So uh, we, we were using this phrase, love forward, because that just gives us the sense of both the, the heartfelt burden that our church has often carried the way that we've carried, cared for kids that are in the foster care system, but this sense of like, but we're also moving forward. Uh, and so I, I wish we could nerd out. This is not a visual medium. I'd like show you all the yeah. things in the logo that kind oh, of represents that that's stuff. Rad. Yeah, it's, it's really fun.
1: That's that is fun. I love that the branding reflects that. What kind of teaching series are you guys going to do to help the love forward mission keep going forward?
0: Yeah, so we spent a lot of time this year 1 just trying to get that language in front of people. Like right. what does it mean? What's our vision? What's our mission? All that stuff. That was probably the first quarter of the year. And then we spent the latter half of the year because our our vision statement is multiplying gospel leaders to bring kingdom flourishing. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time like what does it mean to understand the kingdom of God? And so we've talked about that a lot. So this next year we're going to spend some time thinking through things like Hosea and thinking about mm-hmm. the heart of God for people who are Unfaithful. Think about the heart of God towards. We've used this language, grace deserts. Like, what's a yeah. grace desert? How do we how do we approach it? Um, one of the podcasts that we're going to do is hearing people who have responded to the call to be sent, yeah. and how they are living out faithfully in grace, the grace desert. So just trying to find ways to like, here's what this looks like. Our former communication director, he left staff in October, 2021. To, he had his own branding business. Can I just shout him out? Can I just say his shout name? Him out. So Brian Papagallo, Brian Papagallo designs. If you need something designed, go Love to Brian. Love it. Shout um, out.
1: Offer code coastline for 20% <laughs> off. Your first order. Yeah, he offer code,
0: will get you 0% off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have any connection. So he had been on staff for so long. So he had this unique internal sense of what we were trying to do. And so as he began to lay things forward, there was a lot of synchronicity where it's just like, Oh, you know, that's right. There were some other options that were similar variations of love forward, but it was like the punchiness of those two words and all that was like, yeah, let's go for it. That's it.
1: That must feel really nice to have somebody who is really gifted, who also really knows you. Yeah. And I think that is something that is so special about working in a church. You have so many people, so diverse. Like when you need something, you have it and it's not somebody you don't trust who doesn't know you. It's really special. And it's funny to think about how diverse the kingdom is where you have like a branding expert just in your back pocket who can help you do something right. like that. That's what I always tell people when I do like a wedding or a funeral, it's like, you know, some son-in-laws can build a deck or like rewire your house. <laughs> I can do a funeral. I can marry you guys. And that's about as much as I can offer you.
0: I have a nephew. And when, when I was first stepping into the ministry. He's a couple of years younger than me. He was working at Little Caesars. And so he would always get us free pizzas. Yes. And so my mom loved that. My sister loved that, his mom. And he was like, what can you get for me? Like a free Bible or something? So yeah, sometimes I feel that intimidation. (laughs) There's not a lot that I can offer, but you're right, the kingdom's diverse. Free Bible. I mean,
1: honestly, I hate to be that guy, but you just go to church, they'll give you one.
0: (laughs) That's right, that's right. He doesn't need to know that
1: though. No, no, we can keep that a secret. Also, there is nothing I love more than when a student asks me for a Bible. (laughs) It's right. a great feeling. Right. I right. wish people would ask me for more Bibles.
0: Right. Dang, that'd be it's, so fun. It's funny in a digital world though, like at this point, like, why are we giving them away? And why are people asking? Well, they can download them, right? But, but still, I okay. appreciate that. Okay, this,
1: this is a good pragmatic question. What is your thought on that? We at Youth Group, I can speak to myself specifically, we really push kids to bring their physical Bibles for sure. two reasons. One, to see that we're not making this up. And two, there's something about holding it in your hand in a space that you don't do everything else on that right. we really like. Right. And so for you, digital world where are you at with paper bibles yeah say it right now
0: you're done with them you're throwing them out so i would be a hypocrite (laughs) if i was like paper bibles only because i preach from an ipad of course but i do think there's an attention economy where When I'm, I can be distracted reading a paper Bible also, but the distraction is not showing up as a notification on my page. Right. It's not luring me into another app. Like, like if I'm reading my Bible, I'm in my Bible. And so I do think particularly because students are digital natives, it it actually does something to arrest their attention and disrupt them if you ask them to use a paper Bible. So I see the benefit, but then... my own practice is not that.
1: Yeah. And as an adult, you know, I find it so funny when I have to teach people how to use a digital Bible. They're like, well, we scan this code and it takes me here. And it's like, here's a paper Bible. I don't want to use a paper Bible. (laughs) Meanwhile, I have to, it's the opposite problem with the other generation. It's It's hysterical. It's hysterical. So, this whole series has been about spiritual strongholds in the South Bay. And I have been, if I can be completely honest, the most excited for your answer to this. When you think about specific struggles, specific sins in the South Bay, what immediately comes to mind? And then, What do you think makes this community unique for that particular struggle to thrive?
0: Can I tell a story to answer the question? I realize that sometimes my answers are unhelpfully long. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's a book called The Reappearing Church by a guy named Mark Sayers. And in the first chapter, he tells a story about a man who was part of the British Communist Party and then leaves that and becomes part of the British Church. And he says that when he was part of the British Communist Party, oftentimes they would just put you out there, you try and share the propaganda with people, It would go badly and it would drive you to want to train and be stronger in that. He's like, but then when he was in the British church, often what he would hear is the world is against us. We're in danger. This is hard. And so he uses this language of being a fragile minority. There's probably a lot of things that can speak to why that's a mentality. And maybe that's not even the right answer to the question because it's not necessarily a sin, right? but, but I think there's probably some level of unbelief, some level of, Otherness, the way that we see those who are not part of the church, that I think fuels our attention as the church. And so, therefore, it leads into lack of faith, lack of outreach, lack of care for the other. I think. Part of what fuels this mentality, uh, I was talking with the pastor in the area and he said, Well, you know, this is a defense community. Like lives are, are particularly private. And so there's some sense of, and then we're in this weird spot. We're not Orange County, where there's a lot of Christian nonprofits and mega churches, and we're not LA. We're kind of the weird amalgamation of the two. Yeah. And so when those two things hit, there's probably this intimidation of what feels like really secular culture is hitting us, but we hold these values of this place that's close to us, but we're not them. So there's probably this threat that we feel that's that, that causes that fragile minority mentality.
1: I think that's really, really insightful. And when you say defense community, my brain immediately went to how much like aerospace is around here and we have LAX in the South Bay. We are a community with a lot to protect and that is reflected in a lot of our infrastructure. Right. And so it's easy for somebody. I mean, how many aerospace engineers do you have at Kings Harbor? We have plenty at coastline where it's like, you're the smartest person and you have to think about classified ways to protect our country. And then you think about your faith. It's going to be really hard to split those two things. Right. How much did you know about the South Bay before you came here?
0: Not a lot. I think I knew some demographic things, particularly about Torrance being the, the largest community in the South Bay. I think I knew a little bit about how the different beach communities, what, what kind of ethos they were, they reflect. But I didn't know on the ground, like day to day, what is life like here? How What do people value here? Like I was, I was, I don't know. <laughs> Let's make it up as we go. What surprised you the most? Again, unhelpfully long answer. Do you remember the restaurant that used to be, so we're, just to kind of give a sense, we're off of Lomita, mm-hmm. and then at Lomita and Crenshaw, there's the Torrance Crossroads. Do you remember the restaurant over there called Yellow Fever? Oh, yeah. So, awful name, but incredible food. It was great. And it survived for maybe a year and a half while I was here, mm-hmm. and then it shut down. Or Brio, and the great maple that yeah. didn't survive very long or pinkies that replaced it and so i'm looking at restaurants and i'm like man like mom and pops like el burrito jr they're loved and they're yeah. nostalgic and they last forever Chili's it's a nationwide brand it'll last forever but the kind of weird boutique regional thing that it doesn't survive and so it spoke to some sense of how does the outsider in this community survive if you're not John Piper yeah. or you didn't grow up here, how yeah. do you survive a, as the, the outsider that's not a known quantity?
1: Well, that's a really good transition into a good thought and a question that I want to ask you of like, do you still feel like an outsider here?
0: No, I, I've had two kids here. And so at this point they're this is so much of their world. It's all they know that it's like, as because it's become home for them. It's home for me. Were the kids, the
1: catalyst of like, okay, I feel like I'm, I'm rooted here. Or was it something else?
0: I, I think time certainly, uh, but the kids was the, like the, the major factor.
1: That I, I like hearing that, and I was hoping that you would say something like, "I don't feel like an outsider anymore," because yeah. I think this had been a different conversation. You're like, "Yeah, help me break in." I'm like, uh, uh, "I'm not the right guy." Oh my <laughs> goodness! Uh, yeah, this is my resignation podcast on a whole different church's feed and everything. That I, I think that's really, really insightful, and I think I was really excited for your answer because of the fact that you're from somewhere else, and, sure. and so I want to kind of reframe the question. If I was sitting with you and I was at the village church, and I said, "What are the specific sins of this area?" What would you say?
0: affluence was was one particularly the place that it was in 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 the dallas metroplex i think for the village because of the level of status and size that the church had and the people that they draw there's there's probably a a portion of arrogance that came not necessarily from the leaders but for people being associated with those leaders so those those obviously a little bit more direct than what i shared about here
1: yeah and for those of you don't know village church matt chandler is in charge and he's a name, like that's a name yeah. that people know. And when you came where people were like, Hey, is Matt Chandler going to come speak at Kings Harbor now?
0: It was this weird, nobody asked me that directly, Good. But, it's, but some people were like, do you really know him? Like, cause. You, you, all you see is a church of enormous size. Yeah. So you're like, like, was he ever around or was he like the wizard of Oz? And then other people were like, you guys are best friends, right? Like, yeah. so like like not knowing how to deal with somebody's celebrity on that regard. But I don't know that we had a lot of people that were avid listeners of the village
1: or like c- could connect you to like, Oh, you went from that. church. Tr- okay. That's the pastor yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that too, because I think from an outsider, I heard you're coming from the village and I'm, knowing church worlds and knowing Matt Chandler's village model and stuff, I wasn't like, oh, this guy is like buddies with Matt Chandler. But I was wondering if people had that thought because yeah. again, I think a big problem in the South Bay or I guess an overhang is that affluence and who you know. Right. And I think a big piece of feeling like an outsider in this community is because you don't know the right people. Sure. You don't know the right families. And so when you came to King's Harbor, were people like, oh, you got to meet this guy. He's going to get you connected. You got to meet this guy. Or did you feel like you were on your own and you, you met the right people and God put the right people in your path?
0: You know, we had the strange upheaval of the leadership transition. So I think there's a part of it that it was people asking the question, who is Kings Harbor? So to connect to so-and-so, I'm not sure everybody knew if so-and-so was in or out. So I think there was a lot of just meeting people as it came and... In a really helpful way, I didn't have a paradigm for certain people. Like I wasn't like, oh, you're this person that plays this role. I could just see them for what they were. And sometimes that got me in trouble, but most of the time I was really (laughs) helpful. Don't you know who
1: I am? (laughs) Don't you know who I am, Mike? I wonder if you feel like you got to start a new church in some ways.
0: Yeah. I tell people I've led three churches, new churches in the same location, navigating the leadership transition before me, COVID, and then the rebrand so i feel like in just about almost six and a half years i've led three different churches in the same spot
1: wow okay yeah. that is a lot that's a really fruitful way to look at it and very optimistic in your more pessimistic moments are you
0: like this is three different churches in six years <laughs> uh, the thing is like man once things are smooth and healthy am i going to be able to be good at my job do i know how to do yeah do I, know how to do I think crisis management
1: i think that's really imp- important to just name, I think as pastors, we are yeah. really good at that. We're really good at working when the house is on fire. But right. when there's a more homeostasis, it's like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah. How do you navigate the quiet? And I mean, it probably hasn't been so quiet, but sure. there've probably been seasons where it doesn't feel like there's something you have to do right now.
0: Yeah. I think COVID uniquely caused that. I had one of our workers that was in the Middle East say, don't see this as isolation, see it as incubation. Mm -hmm. So I try to take those quiet moments and say, "Okay, what are you preparing me for or what are you preparing? So I'm a very future-looking human. But I want to be able to see, okay, this moment's been provided for not just this moment, but for something else. And so when I'm in the quiet, I'm thinking, this is here for a reason what am i going to do with it wonderful
1: i i i just that speaks to me on such a deep level you think about preparing a congregation and something that comes up a lot in this series is repentance we want to see people repent from not only their internal sins but the sins of the area and we named a couple of them but as a pastor, how do you get people to look at repentance, not just individually, but corporately as well?
0: So we do a practice, uh, in almost every service that we have where we just have a time of confession. And so we've tried to embed that into the way that people worship and, and our worship minister, Tim Matson would say, I hope that what we're doing on Sunday is something that you're doing regularly throughout the week personally, but we get to do it together. And so I think even the, the COVID shift has caused us to think about how do we help people think corporately again, And then how do we name things corporately that we are responding to, whether it's joy or repentance or whatever. And then how do we give people opportunity to do it together to practice it? That's beautiful.
1: And I, another consistent theme that's coming up is how like Sunday is a model for the rest of your week. Right. How do you as a pastor think through your average congregants week? Do you think like, okay, I want this sermon to catapult them into a new way of life, or I want them to reflect on the week before. Like, I'm just really curious as to how do you frame Sunday in the life of a congregant?
0: Oh man. You know, nobody's ever asked me that question. My natural bent is to be forward thinking. Mm -hmm. So my natural bent is probably how are you going to use this going forward? But I feel like when I have served our body the best, I've preached in such a way where it's been, I see where you are. And so I think the difference, maybe, between being a priest and a prophet is in my priestliness, when I'm at my best priestliness, I see people where they are and I'm building a bridge, not even to say, hey, here's where we need to go, but just to say, hey, if you'd like to go somewhere, it's safe to step forward. In my prophetness, it's like, we're going. And so my natural tendency is prophetic, but my but I serve our people best when I'm priestly.
1: I don't know if you've ever read The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann.
0: I almost named a series that without reading the book. Oh, and then my staff was like, nobody's going to like that title. Don't do it. So. Well. I want to read it. It's a great book.
1: Highly recommend it. It's it's probably my favorite book, Christian book, he's more of an old Testament, so it's hard to say Christian, but it is Christian. I I will go to bat for that, but he talks about the role of the prophet to criticize the dominant cultural narratives and then to energize the people to live a different way. And I think that that is exactly what we've been talking about of looking at your area and saying, this works, this doesn't work, this works, this doesn't work, and not just saying, oh, okay. I'm going to live this way, but energizing your people to say, we're going to do something different now. And I think the way that I would frame that now in post, you know, resurrection is revival, right? Post Pentecost, it's revival, right? So when you think about revival and you think about the South Bay, what does that look like? And I guess the question is what would in Mike Johnny's opinion, revival in the South Bay look like.
0: Anytime historically you've seen revival, there's certainly this unique awakening within the church. But it doesn't stay in the church, right? And mm. so I think oftentimes the way that revival spreads is it finds the delivery system of the culture and it moves through the delivery system of the culture. So if you think about the Roman roads, the Roman roads did that. Um, this is not com- a completely me thought. Mark Sayers talked about this some, but I also th- so I think about man, what are the prevailing things in our culture? that have people's hearts, attentions, and how does the message of Jesus invade, supersede, and use those as the delivery system. So revival may look like families whose lives have been dominated by their kids' sports schedule, having this missional ethos in the way that they do that. It might be people whose lives are dominated by what we talked about earlier, digital mediums, having like not just content available to them, but embedded deep, gospel formative community in those venues. So to me, revival is not just, okay, there's this moment of awakening of the church, but it pervades the delivery systems of the culture.
1: Yeah, that is so brilliant. And I, I wonder where does the church fit into that? Because most churches don't have the access to all of the digital media that they would like, or they don't have access to the eyeballs of every single person that they would want. So what's the role of the church in, in that version of revival?
0: Yeah, I think... In every version of revival, you are, you know, certainly you've got your unique leaders that have a voice like an Edwards or somebody who people want to come here but something is happening where people are being empowered enough by what they're hearing that they're going and taking it somewhere else. So what we have when we talk about digital systems right now is last week or two weeks ago in our student ministry, um, I was speaking, this girl was like, you're the guy on YouTube.
1: (laughs) Autographs (laughs) later, I'll sign later.
0: And my thought was like, sweetheart, you don't know how easy it is to get on YouTube, right? Like you can grab your phone and do this yourself. And so you're not on YouTube. Yeah, like that's the more right, shocking point. It's right. so, like, how do we then empower people in their individual spheres to use the resources that they have? Nobody needs to see Mike Johnny on YouTube. I, I've got a face for radio. Like you don't need to see me, but the person that already has buy-in and influence in your life, them using their resources to, I think that's how, so I think we empower people with the message and the confidence to go
1: do that and it starts in the church but it goes out right and I think that's something that has been so funny in all of these conversations I've had with different pastors is most pastors are like I hope it starts here but doesn't end here right I hope it goes out and I think it just goes to show you that like especially a community like the South Bay we are all rooting for each other because we know the big goal is not more people at Kings Harbor more people at Coastline more people at Calvary Chapel it's more people walking with Christ right and that's the goal. And we're right. all on that team. And like you said, unique leaders. And I think Kings Harbor gets to do that in a unique way. And I've just been so blessed to sit here and hear about the unique way you're doing it. And you said you're a very forward-focused person. So I guess the last question I'll ask before we transition to something else is a year from now, where do you want to see Kings Harbor? And and how do you want Kings Harbor to serve the greater South Bay community?
0: So when I came here, we used to do a thing called gatekeepers. Now it's called South Bay Pastors Community. There's a man named John Svenson led a church. And El Segundo was retiring and John was speaking and he, he was just challenging us to think about our future. And I made a statement in the room. I was like, I think I'd only been on staff for like five months. And I was like, I don't even know where the light switches are yet, but I want to plant 40 churches in 40 years. I'd still want to do that. But I also think that's a really narrow scope. Most of the people that sit in front of me aren't going to be church planters nor are they going to go with the church plant. But I would love to see people finding their confidence to be that kind of gospel-centered leader that multiplies in education, that multiplies in entrepreneurship, that multiplies in aerospace engineering. And so Having that message not just be, man, he keeps saying that. I wish he'd preach on something else, but have it be a similar heartbeat for our people. In a year from now, if if that vision is embedded deeply in our DNA, where if you cut us, we then we bleed, and that comes that's what comes out, that's a win. Oof,
1: that is good. Well, I will be at church number. I'm trying to think. 40 years from now, probably like 33. I'll be there. I'll be at that one. Well, I appreciate all of your, um, honesty and candor and depth. And I am, you know, it it pains me to say, we're going to switch gears a little bit because I could (laughs) hear you talk about this stuff all day, but we've been doing this thing called the locals only lightning round. 11 questions that are just like instant response and so some are very easy for some some are very difficult for some as a transplant but somebody who feels like they're from here someone who feels like they they belong here i am excited to hear your answers for this so here you go mike johnny are you ready
0: i am ready
1: he's ready all right number one what is your favorite south bay restaurant and what is your go-to order there
0: on and on and i get the barbecue beef bowl with sauteed sweet potato corn and pickled carrot and radish. Where is on and on? So there's one that is right over here in the Torrance crossroads. And there's another one that's over like off of Normandy and Knox or in that that area. Somebody
1: is yelling, thank you, pastor to you. And someone is rebuking me for not knowing that. So How that's a you, good answer. So most people don't know about you it. I've never like, heard of it in um, my life. Somebody
0: from our church took me to it and then I had it and I'm like, I am now going to be their greatest patron.
1: Number two, what is the best cup of coffee in the South Bay? I know you don't drink coffee, but if you had just to guess the best cup of coffee in the South Bay.
0: I would probably go either the boy and the bear or something from Offset.
1: Both are great options. What is your like drink of choice? A congregate wants to take you out and say, we're going to offset. What would you get?
0: I'd probably get some type of fruit infused tea
1: or, or green tea or just a fruit. Like I'll just take a pair. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Number three, where is the best breakfast burrito in the South Bay?
0: I have no idea. I don't really eat a lot of breakfast burritos. What's your breakfast food of choice? Well, I'll say I love clutch and coffee because of their chicken and waffles.
1: There you go. That was, I mean, that I could change that to what's the best breakfast spot in the South Bay clutch and coffee in old Torrance, right? Yeah. Nice. Great. All right. Number four, very interested in your answer here. What local landmark or spot triggers the fondest memories for you and why?
0: So Point Vicente Lighthouse, right after we had our son, my mother-in-law was here and we were just trying to get out of the house to do something. And so we started going to that park. And so like there's some sense of safety and home and family that comes every time we go to that park.
1: That is beautiful. I I absolutely love that. And I bet on hectic days at work, you're like, I wish I was at the lighthouse right now. Number five, share a lesser known restaurant or spot in the South Bay. And I think you already did, but you have another one, an underrated spot.
0: Underrated because it's really expensive. Pacific Standard oh, is yeah, a steak yeah. place. Yeah. And so I'm like, when I do get to go there, I'm like, this is probably what meals in heaven will, will be like. I mean, preach. Excuse me if you're a vegetarian.
1: Okay. Number six, what is one thing that you think the South Bay needs? Anything from a particular restaurant or store all the way over to ideological changes?
0: Can I give a personal frustration answer and then a entrepreneurial answer? Absolutely. So personal frustration, my kid goes to Torrance Elementary and the turn in there, they need a stoplight. Yes. They're supposed to stoplight. This <laughs> is,
1: I, that's the best answer ever. That is so perfect. So inside baseball, I love it. Yeah. This is just the left turn. Okay. So that's that. What's the entrepreneurial answer?
0: I think if we could come up with a food recreation concept that had to do with like some kind of fun food like either burgers or chicken, fried chicken and a pickleball. Oh that yeah. is like the equivalent of top golf. Game. Game. Game over. over. Game over.
1: I'm a member, my idea. no, 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 I, I'll cut that part out. I'm a member at South end and it's like as close as you can get. Cause I can order food and then play pickleball. But what you're saying, let me know. We'll talk off air. I yeah. I uh, I got, I got yeah. some seed money for you. Number seven, where is your go-to spot to watch the sunset?
0: My backyard on the trampoline with my boys.
1: Oh, such a good answer. Number eight, what local festival or event do you look forward to the most and what makes it special?
0: I don't have an answer for that. I mean. No, I don't have have a good answer.
1: The one that came up the most was the uh, Redondo Beach stroll during Christmas time. Oh, yeah.
0: That's probably my answer.
1: Number nine. No, number nine. Yes. If you moved away and you could only visit the South Bay for one day, what is the one thing you'd absolutely have to do? Eat at Handles. Oh, what a good answer. You're a Handles guy. I, I, I picked you as a Handles guy, which is the right call. Number 10, describe the South Bay in three words.
0: Beautiful, complicated, worth it. That's four words, but
1: that's perfect. That's great. And then finally, last question, what is your prayer request or what is your deep hope for the South Bay?
0: I think all of those things that I just said, I think there is this God given beauty that makes it such a wonderful place to live but it's complicated, it's expensive, it's difficult. I do think it's probably hard to connect if you're not in a place that there's a crowd of people that are excited for you. But I think with all of that complexity and all of that beauty that people would find that this place is worth it. As many people as have left over the last few years, and I certainly understand why, and I'm not shadow boxing with people as they walk out the room. I, I hope that people are like, but the Lord has something for me here. And it's worth, it's worth being here.
1: It's worth being here. Well, you are a testament to it's worth being here because someone who's come in it's six and a half years, I it was a long time, but still in the scheme of what we're talking about, the, the tribalism here and the, this is our home, this is our place here for you to come in to make such an impact on the South Bay again, to watch as a bystander. It's awesome. So thank you for all Thanks. you do. You're awesome. Kings Harbor rocks. You rock. Thank you for sitting down with us and talking and yeah. let's talk, uh, our pickleball restaurant.
0: Yes. And, and Hunter, thank you. Like, this is great. I love that you guys are helping to unite the churches of the South Bay as something something as simple as, Hey, let's think about the same thing together and pray for the same things together. Love, love it. What doing. Thank,
1: thank you, you. Thank you.